Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Word Processing. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined with Josiah, and we are going to talk about God's Word, specifically, once again, Matthew 13, Josiah? Matthew 13. So we've been in Matthew 13 for a few weeks now, and we're almost done it. We're getting through the end of Jesus's parables in this section this time. And really, that's what we've been looking at for a few Sundays. And I think we got one more probably. But let's finish up the parables today, Josiah. So this past Sunday, we went through six parables, I think, from this section of Matthew 13. I'm wondering if just to start us off, we can kind of recap what were those six parables? What was the kingdom mystery that was revealed in them? So we can make sure we're on the same page before we get a little more practical. Sure. The parables themselves probably won't surprise many people in the church or have been around the church any amount of time. Many of them sound very familiar, but it's the interpretations, those hidden mysteries or the mysteries that were being revealed that sometimes cause us to scratch our head, particularly with the ones we looked at this coming or this past Sunday, because while the two we looked at previous, Jesus himself interpreted them, here he doesn't. And so we want to tread humbly uh, on these six parables uh, with conviction. We want to build a uh, right understanding of them. But at the same time, Jesus himself didn't offer an interpretation like he did for the other two. And so we we are operating very uh, carefully. In fact, he says specifically, he asks his disciples, have you understood these things? Mm-hmm. And they say yes. So we really want to put our heads back in their yeah. their shoes, their sandals at the time, right? Yeah. And, and think how they would have understood them. If they understood them, then how do we? Yeah, unless they were lying, which there's no indication that they were, sure. they really do believe that they understood what he's saying. So that's a great... Uh, interpretation decision that you're, you're you're suggesting there is to okay try to understand what would they have heard when they heard these parables very very important so without further ado we have the parable of the mustard seed this mustard seed that is a small seed but grows into this big tree i suggested that this is jesus revealing that there's going to be this apparent insignificance in the kingdom there's going to be a time when the kingdom is going to look like it's beaten right where it's it's nothing it's almost ignorable like a little mustard seed but eventually it will become this shade providing stability providing great significant tree mm-hmm. okay. again to the disciples they wouldn't have known that they thought the kingdom was going to come it was going to be significant and as they look around their little circle of fishermen and tax collectors they say this is pretty insignificant it seems like it's there's been 12 beaten. of us and yeah. what is this yeah. yeah so that's he's revealing that to them don't be alarmed basically this is going to run its course the way the lord wants it to run its course yeah even something small something can start out small and grow into something mm-hmm. massive and what it needs to be yeah and the next one was that of the leaven the leaven being put through dough and it's spreading through the dough and this one may have been the most controversial of the ones that we tackled on Sunday in in my interpretation of it anyway. I understand this to mean that evil being the leaven is going to extend through during God's kingdom program, evil is going to spread through the world until the kingdom does come, until God sets up his kingdom, until Christ returns and sets up his kingdom. And I take that to understand that because of the question you asked at the very beginning, what would these disciples have heard? And I just see no indication that they would have understood the word leaven to mean anything other than evil. They are Jews who celebrate the the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And later on in Matthew, he uses leaven to talk about the leaven of the Pharisees and their hypocrisy in Luke. And and on and on we go. Paul later uses leaven to be the leaven of evil and malice and all of these Mm -hmm. things. So how would they have understood this? I think that this is the leaven of evil going through the world while we are in this parenthetical age and it will continue to get until it's through the whole dough and then the harvest will come 
which again would have been a shock for that same reason. They expected the kingdom to come immediately, the king to come and set up his perfect kingdom, while actually evil is going to work its way through until the kingdom comes. Yeah, and it seems a little antithetical that, okay, we have this beautiful, perfect, pristine, holy, everlasting, just kingdom, but evil is going to permeate during this program before the kingdom actually comes. They don't seem to really fit. And what I suggest is that the mustard seed is looking at the God's kingdom program from a human point of view, that we see we want it to be thriving like a tree, but really it looks so insignificant. From God's point of view, is it ever insignificant? Of course not. It's going exactly as he said, but from a human point of view, that's what it looks like. And then on the flip side, with the parable of the leaven, from God's point of view, maybe to us, we might see times of success, you know, in this parenthetical age. But from God's point of view, he's seeing the evil permeate. And so it's just two different points of view on the same kingdom program, I think. Then we drop down to verse 44 in Matthew 13 and talked about the uh, the parable of the hidden treasure. And I liken this to the kingdom coming and being hidden for a time after David was on the throne, then Solomon takes over and the king- kingdom gets divided, exile happens, all of those disastrous things, the kingdom was hidden. And then this man comes, Jesus, announcing that it is here, he's ready to bring it forth, and that is him finding this treasure. But then as we saw in chapter 12 of Matthew, he's rejected, and so he hides it again, goes away, and buys the field. And I liken that buying of the field, as we've already seen in these parables, the field can represent the world. Well, how did this man buy the world? Well, he does so on the cross through his death, uh, burial, and resurrection, right? He paid a great cost for it, yes. A great cost. And so the the world is this, the kingdom is his treasure, that it is going to be found, it is going to come out. He owns it, was the basic takeaway, that you don't understand this, but it is bought and it is owned. It's just waiting to be unveiled. The next parable was that of the costly pearl, and it sounds very similar to that of the hidden treasure, except for one little detail, and it is the emphasis on the singularity of the pearl. There's this one pearl. He's one looking pearl. for pearls, and yet he buys one of great value. Mm-hmm. And I take this to be a foreshadow, the first or one of the first foreshadows of the church. As we go through the New Testament, we see that the church is talked about in singular terms often, one body of Christ. We are together as one body, one unit, the bride of Christ that is purchased, just like in this parable by Christ. And so I see this as a very early foreshadow of what we'll see in Matthew 16 and onward, and then certainly in the book of Acts and Romans where the church comes to fruition. But here it's this first hint that apparently they understood. They said, like you uh, mentioned at the beginning, yes, we understand these things. They understood that something was coming that was singular but different. Mm-hmm. I think often of that that passage, the idea of tossing pearls before swine and, you know, the pearls there being almost nuggets of truth before people who don't understand it. And here we have, you know, maybe they might not have thought of it as the church the way we understand the church now, obviously, but they would understand the value of a pearl and the value of something having meaning and having purpose and not being understood by all those that it's necessarily given to. Yeah, at the very least, those two parables talk about the great worth of whatever is being purchased. Yes. And we know that Christ dies to pay the price for both of these things, mm-hmm. right? And so that's very clear. And I love that, like, especially the hidden treasure, that it's like he purchased the land while he died for the whole world, and yet it's only that treasure, that remnant, that will actually mm. be received by him, those who have believed in him. There's definitely some more allegory there for sure. Mm-hmm. Then the last of the kingdom parables was that of the dragnet or the net being dragged between two boats collecting fish. And this just highlighted this mystery of the diverse population of the kingdom. 
they were very Israel-centric at the time. This was going to be a, a Jewish kingdom that's coming, and, and it still will be a very Jewish kingdom when it does come. But he's revealing here that it is going to be one of diverse populations, Jews and Gentiles. These, these fish are just caught up, in, up into this net. And he says, and gathering fish of every kind. That's mm-hmm. kind of the clue there. And so to these Jews, they, they're just being reminded or shown for the first time that this kingdom that's coming is going to be very diverse in its population. It's not only going to be Jews. And so that was the last thing that he unveils in those kingdom parables and the fact that like the parable talks about the fish being divided to good and bad barrels and yet not by their species or not by their kind Mm -hmm. but whether or not they by by some other standard so going back to the judgment that's been talked about since the very beginning of these parables they would have expected something to come but would have been very different expectations i guess yeah yeah. well so for the rest of our time today i really want to focus on application and that comes from response to these teachings which is really in the eighth parable which we haven't talked about yet today so maybe run us through the eighth parable and we can talk a bit more about that that response sure i think it was a few weeks ago i talked about the entire chapter as a whole so maybe just a word about all of chapter 13 this is the third discourse or teaching of jesus and if it wasn't so daunting a preacher might want to take this entire chapter all at once because it really is one unit when you look at it it's Mm -hmm. eight parables six of which in the middle have this little label of the kingdom of heaven is like. And those are the mysteries being revealed clearly, saying the kingdom of heaven is like these things. You've never heard this before, but here they are. And we just talked about a handful of them a moment ago. But the first parable is kind of the answer key to the rest. It it introduces what he's about to talk about by telling us how to hear them. It's kind of like almost like that blueprint at the beginning of an essay. Mm-hmm. This is this is what we're going to talk about. This is what to look for. Keep your eyes out. This is what to keep track of. This is how you will understand what I'm about to say. Yes. Really. It's the introduction to the whole. And then the last one, which we're about to talk about, the eighth parable is the conclusion and the application. And so really, when you talk about application of these parables, it really has to wait until this eighth and final parable because he is going to introduce how they're how they can understand these things then here come the mysteries and then here's what we need to do about it and so i think this one is clearly really important for us then as those who are not the initial followers of jesus Mm -hmm. who are still followers to be able to say okay these mysteries were revealed to them these are not mysteries to us anymore this is how we expect the kingdom to come but still what do we do with this information Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially because, as many people noted this past week, these mysteries being revealed, and as you just alluded to, they're not overly shocking to us today. To those first century disciples, what a diversified population of the kingdom. How can that be? We trust you, Lord, but we've never heard that before. And you and I, as Gentiles sitting here, we're thinking, yeah, that's that's uh, that's that's normal to us. We understand that, right? Well, I think the part of the reason might be in that, that this doesn't seem so shocking or that incredible maybe to us is that oftentimes i don't know i don't want to speak for everyone but i've heard many of these parables taught as moral lessons instead of kingdom mysteries despite the fact that jesus says they are mysteries about the kingdom but it ends up being oh the the hidden treasure in the field oh what are you willing to sacrifice for your faith Mm -hmm. you know this man was willing to sell everything to buy this field with a treasure in it so what are you willing to sacrifice for your faith well that's not what these people, the, Jesus' followers would have understood. And that can't be what it's about when Jesus says this is a mystery of the kingdom yeah. that is coming. Yeah, that's right. We want to be very careful to defi- divide the word of truth properly. And that even the parable of the mustard seed, does that have some implications for us today of what to think, how to think about the kingdom? Sure. But 
built into that parable, is there a call to action? I don't think necessarily, right? And so we want to leave the application for the text of scripture that calls for application. And here in this entire chapter 13, it naturally goes to a spear's point in this final parable. So with all of that preamble out of the way, <laughs> let me just read this final parable. It's only one verse long, and it is, again, the application and the conclusion of this entire discourse. And Jesus said to them, that's his disciples, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out his treasure, things new and old. That's it. And so we notice on Sunday that Jesus is subtly, but very clearly replacing the scribes of Israel who had just rejected him with his own scribes. These disciples of his that are disciples of the kingdom of heaven are now his new scribes. And what do scribes do? They go forth with the law. They teach. They teach what God wants to be taught to the people. And so now these disciples are being the scribes. They are going to go and teach, and he likens them to a household manager, a head of a household or a household manager, who doesn't necessarily own these things, but he's entrusted with these treasures to go down into the basement, to go into the cupboards, and bring out to show off the master's treasures, both old and new. So how is this an application? Well, he has just set out all of these new treasures for them, right? He has just described all these never-before-known realities of the kingdom. Now he says, now it's your job just like a head of a household, a manager of a household. It's my household, by the way, but you as my manager are to now go and show off not only these new truths that I've given you, but you do want to show those off, but also the old truths, the things you've known for centuries as, as my people. And so they are called to go and teach, to show off these things of God and of his coming kingdom and of his plan and of his purposes and of his work. So not eradicating what they've learned before, but adding to them all of these new truths and and being able to really demonstrate this and share it with those, um, what they have learned from Jesus himself. And we know that these 12 men, or 11 of them at least, would have actually gone and done this very well. The fact that we are sitting here is because mm -hmm. these men did what they were instructed to do. They took this teaching yeah. and they shared it. So it really is a beautiful discourse. Here's how you're going to understand what I'm going to say. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to do with what I just told you and the things you already know. Go out and show off the things that you've been told. It's an incredible discourse that he gives to us, but it really works best in a unit like that. Of course, because or else, or else we can get distracted with the minutia of the specific parables and what to do with them rather than understanding that mm -hmm. it is mysteries revealed and now what do you do with these mysteries? Yeah, and you and I would both say amen to the fact that those little details are important. Sure. We believe that all scripture inspired, every jot and tittle is important, and yet for application purposes, it needs to be work as it's supposed to work. We can't just draw application wherever we want to draw application. Mm -hmm. Well, and as you said, in that parable, the, the verbs being focused on are understand and bring out. So really understanding, taking in the teachings of Jesus, and then going forward and sharing that. I like the, I think you mentioned maybe in your sermon, and I know you and I have talked about this for a preaching point of view, the idea of a curator in a museum of you know, becoming an expert in the information that's around you and explaining that, sharing that with all the people who have come to appreciate it that's right. and come to enjoy it. I think it's a beautiful analogy here. It is great. Yeah. The curator of a museum cares for and shows off the art that they are not responsible for. Or they, they, they didn't bring to bear. They didn't make, they didn't paint, they didn't sculpt, but they collect them and then they take people through and show them. And they might not even spend the same amount of time at every piece of art right? They know the worth of the art, they know the skill of the art, and so they go around and show them accordingly. And so with us, we curate God's truth, and we might land heavier on salvation by grace through faith and curate that and spend a lot of time there. We may talk about other things less, but it's all God's truth. It's all important, and we want to curate it faithfully like a good 
uh, manager, a household manager that doesn't own these things, but we're showing them off as we're called to do. Mm-hmm. So given that application and that that charge, really, you gave us three sort of tasks or, or methods that we can use towards doing this better. Yeah. You talked about the idea of know what you know, grow what you know, and show what you know. And so I thought with the time that we have left that maybe we could just talk through those three things again and understand maybe some practical tips. How do we know what we know? How do we grow what we know? How do we show what we know? Sure. So let's start at the beginning. And obviously the show what we know is the application. That is the goal. That That is is... the goal that this final parable puts before us. It's just the others are kind of necessary prerequisites. Steps in the process. How do I show off if I'm not growing in my knowledge of what's in the basement? And how do I do that properly if I don't actually know what I know and know what I don't know? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we need to be careful not speaking too quickly about things we don't know about God, lest we sure. uh, speak poorly about him. So how do we do this? How do we mm-hmm. get an honest evaluation of of what we know? What does that look like? Yeah, I'm not sure this takes a whole lot of work. You know, I think most of us have a pretty good idea of where we stand in our mm-hmm. knowledge of God. You know, some of us may have a slightly overblown view of what we know. Some of us have a smaller view, an underwhelming view of what we know. But most of us have a pretty good idea. We know that we don't know all there is to know. You know, it's somewhere below that. You know, we're all exploring the infinite. And so I think it's just asking the question, where am I short? Where am I missing some things? And not be, it might just be not necessarily ignorance, but just I haven't gotten there yet, honestly. Do I understand how I was saved? Do I understand the necessity of my salvation? Do I understand the extent of my sin? Do I understand the person work of Christ? Do I understand the attributes of God? Do I understand how he works in this world? There's so many endless questions to ask. And for most of us listening, we'll say, yeah, kind of to some of those. That could be sharpened. That I haven't looked at. Yes, that one I think I understand. I could explain it anyway. And there'll be varying degrees of that for all of us, I think. Mm -hmm. So really taking that evaluation of, I think looking at it from the perspective of, what sort of questions might people ask? Do I have answers? If if a friend Great that I question. want to witness to or a friend that I'm praying for or a coworker comes up to me and asks, you know, why do you go to church or mm-hmm. what do you believe in there? Do I have answers to those sorts of questions? Mm-hmm. Taking inventory of that, making maybe a list of, of areas where I'm like, oh, I remember a sermon preached on this, but I still don't have any clue about that topic. I mm-hmm. struggle with that theology or that belief system mm-hmm. or or that aspect of Christianity you know, even making a list, what are those things that I could sharpen up or or could do better? Do I have answers for these? And if you really were determined to quantify this, I'm sure you could find online an exam for Theology 101 seminary somewhere and just take a quiz and be humbled or impressed with yourself either way. You know, I'm sure you could find a way to quantify, but I don't know if it's really necessary. I just, it was a call to Mm -hmm. quickly self-assess, like, where am I in my knowledge of God? He wants to be known. Psalm 19 is very clear. The heavens declare and the word of God is great and pure and wonderful. He has revealed himself. Am I taking advantage of that extension of his grace or not? And most of us will say, I know a little bit. I want to know more. Mm -hmm. Uh, I probably don't know as much as I should with the time he's given me so far. But here I am. This is where I stand right now. And ultimately doing that inventory and figuring out what you know is not just for the sake of figuring out what you know, but to then move into the next stage of saying, so where do I need to grow? Or where would it be helpful for me to try and focus some of my time or my my growth or my knowledge Mm -hmm. or my my learning? How do we do that, I guess, a little better? What are some tips? Yeah, there's so many different ways today that we can grow in our knowledge of God. Obviously, there's scripture. Everything has to be tethered to scripture. If you want to know God rightly, your method cannot be devoid of the word of God. If you unanchor from the word of God, 
and start just listening to teachers that do not reference the word of God, you're going to go down some really confusing, erroneous trails. Mm -hmm. We need to be in the word of God. We need to be checking things like the Bereans, whatever we learn, checking it against the word of God. Um, How much affinity to what to the word of God is what's being said. Always checking, always checking. So that has to be our anchor point. But then there's sermons, there's books, there's podcasts, there's everything. There's so much stuff out there that we can use to grow. And I I encourage people, use a variety. Like for a season, this one area, this one method might really work. And then after a while, you switch to something else. Read some books, read different Bible reading plans. Because of the variety, don't let that freeze you, but let it excite you and use it all. And I mean, ultimately, we're in the probably the best era that has ever existed for access to information. Mm-hmm. Anything can be accessed. Now that can lead down to some, as you say, erroneous say, yeah. or dangerous paths yeah. as well. But that's where we come back to scripture and making sure that, you know, we don't need to believe every single thing we read, yeah. but understand that there are tools out there that can help us understand things better and grow in what we know. And in the Upper Room Discourse, Jesus is very clear that he has sent the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the teacher, the Mm -hmm. helper to illumine truth for us so that we can understand. The first step should be to call upon God and ask him to help us. Lord, I want to know you better. Help me to know you better and help me to grow in my excitement of knowing you. If we're just pursuing knowledge of God to know more about God or because that's what we think we should be doing, it's going to puff up. Knowledge puffs up. We're We're told very clearly about that. But if we understand that the God of the universe, the God who has saved us and keeps us saved, the God with whom we will spend eternity wants to be known by me, by his church, by the world. There should be an excitement and a gratitude and a reverence that comes with his exploration. Mm -hmm. And so we want to move toward that as our motivation, not because we must, not because this is something that my pastor said I must do, or because that makes me a good Christian, or because that keeps me saved, or whatever. There are clearly benefits to knowing more about God when it comes to walking in his light, assurance of salvation, ministering to other people, 100%. But we want, as much as we can, we want to rely on the Holy Spirit for this, that our hearts would be soft to explore him because we get to, not because we have to. And I think that motivation then flows right into how we then show what we know, which I mean, there really is no limit to how we do this. Mm -hmm. But I think it can be daunting at times to think of, you know, going up to a stranger or going up to someone to tell them the gospel or something. But could this mean more than that? What What does this mean? What do we do with the information we collect once we've learned more? It definitely can mean evangelism. I mean, the great treasure, and it might be one of the old ones, not the new ones, but the great treasure is salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. And certainly evangelism is showing off that treasure to the world. But just as important is showing off treasure to one another as believers within the household of God. Edification. Oh my goodness. We need that because that actually makes us better evangelists. Mm-hmm. You know, the more we know about God, the more excited we are about uh, what he's done, what he's doing, what he's promised to do. That fuels our evangelism, it makes us more zealous to see people saved and and makes us more stalwart in our faith. So yeah, we need to be showing off everything that we know about God, everything that we're learning, everything that we want to know. We need to be talking about him mm-hmm. out of this sheer excitement of who he is and what he's done. So yeah, I think we need to be showing off everything. I don't think there are limits to this, honestly, except for truth. We want to be showing off right things. But whether it's a parent with their children, a spouse to another spouse, a friends, a classmates, whatever the case may be, the Lord has put each of us in unique circumstances. You have different circles of influence than I do. And Mm -hmm. the Lord has providentially 
given us those places to steward. Uh, we need to figure out ways prayerfully where we can be show-offs for Christ and show off old and new, everything we can, bring it out. And we want to be comp- continually feeding that reservoir of information that we that we have with new things, correcting things we may have thought before and we need to tailor a little bit or sharpen, whatever the case may be. But we always want, there's tributaries coming in to our body of knowledge, but we want things going out as well. We don't want mm-hmm. to be stale Dead Sea water just rotting. We want input and output always. And when, I think on Sunday, I just wanted to challenge us to be intentional, intentional with all these things. Mm -hmm. Don't take it for granted. Think intentionally about the fact that God wants to be known. Think intentionally about how to grow in your knowledge of God. Put things in place. Use the community that God has given you to help you grow. And then think intentionally about showing. Like, am I teaching other people? Am I discipling other people? Am I just talking about my own salvation? That is showing off a great, great treasure. One of the things I love about the idea of edification is that often it can be a good practice for our evangelism Mm -hmm. as well. That classic idea that if you really want to know that you understand something, teach it to someone else. If you can explain it to someone else, usually you understand Mm -hmm. it pretty well. And I think that can be a great tool in preparation for any of these things is finding people to talk to. Yeah. I want to be careful. I didn't mean to imply that evangelism, sharing with non-believers, is the telos is the end point and edification only exists so that we can become better evangelists both are beautiful goals that the god himself has given us totally yeah so if you are teaching people in the church that is not just a pit stop on your way to evangelism there is something precious about building up the body of christ definitely i don't think you you made that implication if anyone did that was maybe me but i think even one of my favorite verses i think when paul talks to timothy in first timothy 4 12 and he says be an example mm-hmm. to the believers mm-hmm. in all these things, right? He's he's telling Timothy, this pastor, you know, be an example mm-hmm. to other people. It's not just about going outside the church, but be an example to the believers. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important that as we are learning, as we are growing, we're finding, yeah, just people to talk to, whether it's Sunday afternoon at, at lunch or, or around the dinner table back at home, or I guess my head always goes to food, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be food related. Uh, but finding ways to, to just share in, I like what you said about the excitement that we yeah. get to follow God, we get to learn about God, and we get to share that then with others. And I think we default sometimes to the informal sharing, and that's great. I think we need to be informally sharing these treasures as a household manager. But listen, sometimes there has to be some formal sharing as well. Amen. I think of, we just had a baptism service recently, and, and two young men got into the waters, and they shared their testimony at that moment in our congregation, we're certainly believers, but there's probably some unbelievers there as well. And they heard a treasure shared. They heard this story. And that is invigorating for the, the brethren, for the believers, but also challenging and convicting, hopefully, we pray for those who are far from God and who do not have Christ. And so that is someone that's publicly standing up formally, sharing, presenting treasures old and new, so that the body of Christ and unbelievers can benefit. Listen, if you're listening to this and the Lord is tugging at your heart, you want to, you need to be teaching somehow in a formal setting, whether it's a small group or children's ministry or whatever the case may be, don't ignore that. Informal sharing is beautiful, needs to happen. And it is primary, probably we do that more, but do not use that as an excuse to ignore God's prompting in your life to share in some significant way. It's never been easier to go to seminary, to go to Bible college today. Sure. And there's no age limit on that. In fact, depending on your, the school and depending on, what age bracket you're in, it could be subsidized. It could be cheaper to go and study at the feet of people who have spent their lives studying. Huge privileges. We have so much 
treasure. We have so we have access to so many resources yeah. today. It's almost overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, friends and listeners, I pray that uh, this conversation itself has been edifying to you as we seek to to share treasures new and old that we are discovering and. I pray that that's what this podcast has been for for many of you as well. And um, yeah, if you're feeling that tug on your heartstrings to get involved or to to teach or to be baptized or any of the things that we've talked about, we pray that you would uh, come and seek us out, talk to us, talk to someone about that. And until then, we pray that you'll have a great week and go and be blessed. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information.